We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Welcome, everyone, for another edition of Healing Stories Podcast. It's my great honor uh, to finally have a friend uh, on our segment and one who I don't even know how to introduce him, a CEO of Arena Labs, someone who has counseled me and guided me throughout my life, uh, but also someone who creates an endeavor of how to be optimal in the surgeon's uh, workplace, which is the operating room. And so, Brian, I appreciate you being with us today and uh, look forward to having this time with you. Yeah, it's a real pleasure, Martin. Uh, if you think about it, and for all of our viewers and listeners, uh, I always ask one of the first questions is, just tell us who you are. And that's what I wanted to start with today, uh, Brian. Tell, tell us who you are. Yeah, I think uh, to the conversation we had briefly before this, before we went live, I, I'm certainly, like most of us, still figuring that out. But very proud to be a deeply rooted Midwesterner grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, the roots you and I share, and then went to college there and afterwards spent the first part of my life, uh, I'd say really um, energized by the excitement of service and working in, in, in that capacity for in a variety of, of jobs related to national security. So I was in Washington, D.C. for about seven years and had just an extraordinary set of opportunities. This is right after 9-11, so a, a lot was going on in the world in terms of understanding how we move from the paradigm of the Cold War into a post 9-11 21st century understanding of global security. And so I had this crazy front row seat with extraordinary leaders uh, just coming to understand how we thought about the modern world. Uh, and then in that time, I, I went overseas for a bit to London and uh, explored that moment, going more into a finance role. And, and I realized that I was just deeply motivated by doing something a little closer to service and uniform and so I joined the Navy uh, and I spent seven years in the military got to, to live and travel abroad just an extraordinary set of, of opportunities and uh, more importantly I think it put me around some of the most amazing people I've ever met um, and I'm like you Martin super blessed every chapter of my life has been marked by extraordinary relationships so now on the backside of all those experiences, I just feel like I'm the sum of a lot of amazing people who've taught me a lot about the world, who've challenged me, who've introduced me to a different way of thinking. Um, and so I've now, and I've stumbled into the realm of medicine, what we call high-performance medicine. I'm sure we'll dig into that more, but um, I'm coming to you from California where my wife and nine-month-old daughter are, and, and I think we're at that inflection point of just settling after the first year of having her and figuring out what, uh, what the next chapter looks like in terms of where we live and what we're doing. But um, all that to say, uh, try to be humble every day in terms of pursuing new ideas and just a little bit better version of myself. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine that's what we all want. I mean, even with a journey and a trajectory like you've talked about, you've been with so many different people and been in so many different environments. As you step back and take a look at it, are there things that stand out for you uh, that are most impactful in terms of the skills that you have built for yourself? I, you know, I, I think the further I get removed from where I grow up, the more I appreciate the foundation that gave me. Okay. Um, 
Cleveland, Ohio is a is a just a unique. I think we all like to think of where we grew up as unique, but I really think the people of Cleveland have a unique work ethic, a unique sense of community, um, and that was just incredibly impactful. I, I was fortunate to grow up in a small town west of Cleveland. I would say almost growing up with that town in a sense. I mean, the the time that my family moved there was just as that city was growing. So as a result, it was just, I, I feel so deeply, again, rooted in that, uh, that sense of community and, and the teachers and coaches who really shaped me. So that's a, I mean, that's part of my life I don't give enough credit to. I think the recency bias makes these answers feel more like I would, I would lean on my military service or mm-hmm. you know, things that have happened more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one that for me was powerful, uh, there's two things. One, I mean, the early passion that I had around national security and national relations came out of the 1998. There was a, the U.S. was involved in the conflict in the, Bal- in the Balkans, a, a war in Kosovo. And I remember being, you know, someone who had never really left Ohio except to visit my grandparents in Florida, just fascinated by the magnitude of decision that came with statecraft and diplomacy and understanding conflict. And so that that is a that's a very clear moment in my mind. Um, and then I think what what congealed it in a more tangible way is that right after I left college, I lived in Africa, East Africa, for a summer. Um, and it was at a time, this was just after 9-11, there was a lot of risk in East Africa or supposed risk that was projected by the media. There's a heavy al-Qaeda presence there. Um, and so to go there and see in real, in a real way that it was a very, not only a very safe place, but the people, I mean, it was probably the most impactful experience in my early adult life because it opened my eyes to the rest of the world. Um, and so the third one, I would say, you know, if I think about where I grew up, but then, you know, specific events. One is Kosovo, the second Africa. And the third one for me was, was being in the military. Um, and, and for me, the particular part of the military I was in was just each day was about pushing yourself a little bit further. And I think that can sound cliche, but when you live that and you start to understand the capacity of the human mind and human body in totality, it is in, insanely energizing and inspiring. And so that fundamentally shifted the way that I live my life. You know, I can remember uh, multiple times asking you to give me some sense of peace of mind. I mean, I I feel like a lot of our friendship is that's an outcome. Uh, Let me just give you a little peace of mind. But I can remember sitting and all the lights went off in uh, Karen outside of Nairobi. And there had just been a huge bombing. And I thought to myself, who was the first person that I should probably shoot a text to? And it was you. And I remember saying, hey, Brian. Uh, you know, this this is where we're at. And there was something just of how you said, no problem, it's okay, that there was a safety. And I, and I think that when we think of leadership or when we think of our trajectories in life or our journeys or no matter who we've met, uh, how do you build safety for the human person in a world which is constantly riff with violence, with a sense, yeah. can I go to Walmart? Can I go to my school in Southern California? I mean, you live there. I think a lot of people are feeling this deep desire to be safe. And how can we as leaders and heal the world through some greater sense of safety? Yeah. You know, my first reaction to that is you can't. Okay. Um, and I think now it doesn't mean it's not important to push in that direction, but I actually... Um, a couple things that come out of that for me is I remember uh, right around the time I joined the military, this was it was someone who was, it was actually a, 
um, I think at the time he was a young foreign correspondent and he'd written this phenomenal article and I, I can't even recall the name or the, the um, publication, but it sticks with me because I remember talking to my dad about it. And it was this notion of, you know, people will say as an example, like you go to Nairobi, hey, be safe. Um, you're going somewhere, be safe. But the reality is that many of the richest experiences of life don't come from being safe. Uh, and that we live, and it's not to be reckless or to be intentionally dangerous, but to go, if you go outside of your own comfort zone, by virtue of that, you're exploring the liminal space, the space beyond the known. And that, if, whether it's perceived or real, feels unsafe. And I think by going and the things that you do that have marked your life, Martin, the, the true, I, would, I would suspect if we talked about the deepest elements of service that touched your soul, whether that was in Africa, whether that was in prison, mm-hmm. we're not safe places. And again, like the, the safe isn't, it's not necessarily an existential threat, but it's understanding that it's a different environment, which requires a different way of thinking. And so those things feel unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually, Lindsay and I talk about this with our daughter. There's a, um, there's a lot of literature around this recently because we live in a time when people are so worried about all the things you mentioned. And, and one of the more provocative questions that I really enjoy that we heard on a podcast is, would you rather your child be safe or strong? And so that's obviously a false dichotomy. It's not to say you can't do both, but if we just thought, well, what is it that we want to pursue in life and, and strength, not just physical strength, but strength of character and strength of virtue, those things don't come be a safe uh, approaches to life. So I, I don't know. I, I think about it, um, I, I guess, is the things that we do that are unsafe are actually often gifts. It's, you know, you bring up this liminal space and we know that in journeys of life that people are very scared to walk a tightrope into some other reality, into some other village, into some other idea. And are there ways that you're finding with Arena Labs that you can bring people into that liminal space, but then also see their transformation once they get through it? Because maybe that's part of this whole ethos as I've seen you create, and whether it's in an arena or whether it's in an operating room, that it's okay to journey into a a place that you're just, you're uncomfortable, Um, but you could be smart and you could be strong in that space. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say at the meta level, uh, uh, one of the sort of philosophical underpinnings of today's world that I hold to be true is that organizations, people, uh, relationships that are successful come to embrace the liminal. Um, And and I think you're probably one of the people who introduced me to that term, and I, I believe it's used a lot in in the, the space of religious scripture, but you know, liminality, the Greeks believed was the threshold space. And so threshold uh, is, is again, Greek for, or, or excuse me, liminal is Greek for threshold. And, and it was this idea that we all come out of known chapters of life, but when we pass through a threshold of that liminal space, we, we enter the unknown. And that's really where growth happens. That's where exploration happens. And again, that's where we feel probably less safe, but that's, that's the most important part of life. And so, Again, I think um, for me, if I, you know, now with the benefit of retrospect, when I think about chapters of life where the most growth have happened, it's been in, in liminality. Um, but if I, you know, so, so if I think about, okay, what does that actually mean tangibly? What we see in medicine, which I think is an analog for every other discipline uh, in today's world, whether it's business or sport or, um, you know, someone who, who's in, in faith, actually. But it's that 
the world is changing at a faster and faster rate, and it will continue to do so. That's a, that's a, a mark of modern technology and Moore's law. And so we have to become adaptive individuals. And by being adaptive, that's, there's a certain resilience that comes with being comfortable in liminality. And it doesn't mean we can't have constants in our life. And I think the constants are the things that you and I talk a lot about. They're virtue mm-hmm. and they're relationships. And they're the values that we really hold dear. And sort of in an organizational context, that typically means an ethos or a mantra, something that you believe that you're a part of. Um, and so it's a weird juxtaposition, but it's, hey, this world's really moving fast. And I've got to get comfortable in that space of, of the, the liminal, the unknown. But at the same time, I can find my anchor or my my guiding direction through the people and the values that that I'm really looking to emulate or follow. Mm-hmm. That whole place of looking is another area that you've taught me as well. And I can remember the most formative part was standing in the surf and feeling quite cold and quite um, deficient in my skills of swimming. And you had said to me, Martin, we just have to be careful to recognize when the surf is coming in, but then also what we're moving towards in terms of a person of interest. And that's always stayed with me about how you worked in a world of the water, yet you were always focused on some larger vision of where you were trying to go. Are there things that you could help us to understand that these life moments are filled with the chaos of a wave, of a sea, of a turmoil. Yet, if we have our focus on where we're moving towards, that it really isn't. I mean, you've dealt with hypothermia. You've, you've helped me to understand all these types of things. How do we move through that turmoil? It could be interior. It could be in the work mm-hmm. environment to get to our person of interest, to get to our horizon, to get to our North Star. Yeah, I mean, for those who are listening, um, the, the sort of additional context, yes, we were in, I think it was Laguna Beach at the time, um, and, and the Pacific Ocean is just infamously cold no matter what time of year you're there. And I can't remember when we were there, but I do remember being chilly. I think we had wetsuits on. We did have wetsuits on. I felt very, like, cool. I mean, being, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. on a wetsuit. <laughs> boy from Cleveland, too. We don't do wetsuits in Lake Erie. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, I mean, again, I think what you're bringing up um, – I just actually last week saw a mentor of mine from the Navy uh, who spent his career mainly on the sea as a, um, a service warfare officer, so, you know, driving and commanding these large ships. And he was talking about, I mean, it, it is interesting how the ocean and the seas become such a powerful analog. If you think about a lot of the metaphors we pull from in terms of navigating life or the stuff you just talked about, directions and weathering the storm, so much of that comes from the high seas. Um so all again, while it sounds cliche, I mean, there's just so much you can learn from that environment. And um, to your point, I mean, there's an element of no matter when, when you're in the water, uh, the, the keeping context involves understanding where you are in relation to the land and where you're trying to go and understanding the currents and this sort of like multi-variable problem set. Um, so for me, I was always a definitely an amateur and a beginner in that world, but I loved it because it was, um, uh, there's, 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 in that chaos, there's also a, a calm and a peace that, that you find when you're on the water. Um, so, but I don't, you know, frankly, I don't think I've figured it out anymore. Than you have. That's why I appreciate these conversations. And the thing that I do, um, we had uh, we had a, uh, someone pass away in our, our immediate family a couple of years ago, and I remember one of the more amazing and beautiful texts I got. The entire thing was written as a metaphor about a wave breaking in life, and and not. No matter how good we are, we can't tell what the next wave is going to be or where it's going to break. Mm. 
and and so I, I think that those those broader thoughts about the world and how how we fit into a chaotic environment and choose to absorb that chaos is I think something we're all trying to figure out. I certainly am, but but the ocean is invariably an awesome an awesome way to think about it, which is why we all right now we live about a hundred yards from the Pacific Ocean still. Right. And that was something that always amazed me was you you knew what would energize you and you always yeah. went to that. And whether that be swimming in pools uh, or trying to find how to get into the water, I believe is, a, is what we're trying with healing stories and leadership is to know what it is in you that needs to be nourished. And who is yeah. it that taught you that? How did you come to know that, you know, there are just some fundamental things that you need to be who you are. And some of us go our whole lives just trying to be who someone else tells us we should be. Oh man, this is, yeah. Um, I'll tell you, I'm actually reading a book right now that you would love. I suspect a lot of your listeners. Have you heard of the book Awareness mm, I by Anthony DeMello? Oh yes. He's a, uh, he's I, I believe he was, I don't know if he was a Jesuit or Franciscan. Yeah. He's, um, he's a beautiful, beautiful writer. Yeah. Yeah. But awareness uh, gets into that exact question. Um, about it, I mean, he 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 def- he describes it as being awake, and and he's and he argues that most people go through life asleep. And I'm still and in and, and the broader of it, I think in a again in a religious context, it's about enlightenment or finding you know that light. But um, going, I mean, I I would say unequivocally, early in my life, I, it was trial and error. Um, and I often talk about you know the first chapter of my professional career was in Washington D.C. And I often think of that time as a relatively inauthentic period of life. And it wasn't intentional, but I was following what I thought were big opportunities. And and I had amazing, I mean, I worked in these incredible institutions as a very young person. And I was learning from extraordinary leaders. But I oftentimes found myself following a path that didn't feel authentic. Um, I I would say what was more important for me was having the fortitude to get off that path and get on a different one. And I, I frankly, I've thought about it a lot. I, I think it's again, mentors and people in my life who pushed me and challenged me to do that. Um, but it, it's ultimately, I think that is, that is definitely one of the core elements of a life well lived is recognizing when you're not living authentically, whatever verbiage one uses there. And, and that can be in the context of, of probably a religious life or just one's own values. Um, and then making decisions to change that course. Um, and if you can do that, I, I think it's, it's, that, that definitely leads to, to energy. And isn't that energy what then projects us in to get through the liminal spaces? And if, we, ha- if we have a, a authenticity, which I believe yep. they didn't teach us that in Miami. They didn't teach us yep. that in D.C. And I, I mean, f- interestingly enough, for 14 years, I think authenticity became something that hit the back burner for me. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, you can relate probably in an even more profound way to me than that because you and, and you you made a more profound decision and change um, in order to feel authentic. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, even as a friend, I can think about seeing that. Um, even though you knew it was the right decision and that immediate time afterwards, it's incredibly stressful when we're trying to decouple ourselves from a story we've lived for so long in order to find a, you know, this, this, this deeper path that we're after. Um, 
that yeah that, that's, it's powerful and i remember walking and maybe this is just a fundamental thing our listeners or people who are seeing this should do is get on a beach and walk with a friend and see what yeah. happens when and we asked a fundamental question which was what is your truth and yeah. that seems to be for us in our our way of moving forward what we're trying to share with the world is yeah. how could we share our own answers and not be scared mm-hmm. by that yeah and have you found ways yeah. to, to help people to say this is the truth this is where we're at uh and and let's let's answer the question I mean, I wish I had. I mean, I think I think for me, I'm still in a more humble place of figuring figuring it out for myself. But I, I mean, that, that's why I think you and I have always had such a unique friendship. Is the people who push you that ask? I mean, think about the, the magnitude of that question. Is it's intense, and most people don't explore it. So when a friend asks you that, um, it, it it only pushes you in a deeper state of introspection. And I, I obviously I remember that very well. Um, and I, I don't. I mean, I think it I think it comes as a set of experiences. Um, a lot of what we've talked about, I think pushing oneself into the liminal being sort of unsafe, testing things as to whether or not they're authentic. Um, and then ultimately asking those questions and having people who challenge you. I mean, I think for me, one of the many things I learned from our friendship is we we all have a choice. I mean, the the, the people we surround ourselves with in terms of quality and, and the character they exude. And I'm, I mean, at this point in my life, I think one of the things I'm proudest of is I'm so fortunate to be around people who ask me those types of questions mm-hmm. because it's very easy to go through life without being asked that question. Mm-hmm. And just being asked, it forces me into a mindset of, okay, what is my truth and how do I live that in a way that allows me to really flourish? Well, and we know that based upon some of our roles that people felt that they couldn't ask us that question because we they just yeah. assumed that we had it. And then you yeah. realize you remove yourself from uh, being able to be in dialogue with with people who really tell you what it is, you know. And yeah. there's this honesty that takes place, and you come out of the role. So if only yeah. your life is lived in a role. If you're only living as a neurosurgeon, if you're only living with, you know, you as firemen, you as just a mom, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or and not just yeah. as a mom, but that's the hardest job in the world I'm seeing right now, and I'm sure you see it with Lynn's. But how could yeah. our moms in their roles? learn about the things that we're talking about and know that there is some way that they're going forward and we believe in them yep. and they're courageous um, yep. because I think sometimes we only associate these big roles of life in our culture and not really fundamentally reverence the role that the mother is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you that one of the, the alchemist by Paulo Coelho was, um, I read that, gosh, I was living in Miami. I, I hadn't yet joined the military and that for me was, um, that brought that question to life in a profound way. I think he talks about it. He talks about it in the context of listening to your heart. Um, and again, things that I think oftentimes can be wrapped up into sort of trite hallmark holiday cards, but in the deeper, when you really explore it and ask that question, it becomes, uh, if you're listening, it becomes a, a really powerful way to understand yourself and yourself in the context of the world in terms of pursuing truth. And I, I haven't met many people. I think this is the other thing I'm, I've become more sure of is the people who are closest to that answer are typically the most humble and recognizing how far they are from it um, mm-hmm. in terms of the truth. I mean, I, I, yeah. I certainly know you've lived that way. 
Well, I, I think I'm looking at the picture behind you of JFK and his brother, and I don't know, in an image, that always makes me feel comfort with you, Brian, as I feel like I could sit there and, and there would be a way that you could, it's almost a confessional moment. I mean, that I think yeah. is what people are seeking too, is just to be able to say, this is who I am. Will you love me for who I am? And then can yeah. we go do great things in life? And that's what yeah. I'm most looking forward to the two of us. And whatever that shapes up, uh, whether it be that I got to get my wetsuit on and we got to go surfing or, you know, maybe it's just to go to a bunch of tribe games. But uh, I think <laughs> if you find it, whoever that is, if I could say anything yeah. to the listener, g- go the mile with them. Don't don't let yeah. go of that because life is short. Right. I mean, you know that, too, from your own experience of people who've been close to you who are no longer here. I mean, there's yeah. really something about taking a hold of the moment today and not don't wait to make that phone call. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. And that, for context, that picture is that I think it was 1960. It was on the cover of Time magazine, but that's it's uh, JFK and Bobby Kennedy. Uh, JFK was running for president, but it's just a. I mean, I've always loved iconic American photography. I've lived in Georgetown. I was in DC, and um, a friend bought me that, and I just uh, it was a gift. I, I just love it. Black and white, simple. Two brothers, sort of hunched over thinking about the future and it's uh there's a lot in that that's I, I just find it super inspiring well let's end it there and i would say if anyone wants to get a hold of you brian how could they come and find you um uh, so we go to our check out our website arenalabs.global there's a whole conversation there for, for any of your listeners who are in healthcare about uh, how we think about the future of healthcare and more importantly think about the future healthcare in the context of building great teams and people who who enjoy and are proud to be on those teams uh, so arenalab.global, uh, and I'm Brian at arenalab.global. Um, I try more deliberately to stay off of traditional social media channels, so email tends to be the best. That's right. Uh, I can attest to that. So whatever happens uh, in the future, all we can know is that there is some sense of comfort in keeping friendship going as well as finding the lab that uh, you can create good things. So, Brian, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I'm grateful for what you do, man. All right. You take care. Bye. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories.